Hello, Spanish lovers. Welcome to Spanish We Do, a show about everything that can be done in Spanish. For instance, asking for help when you are in peril and end up either being slapped in the face or maybe with a story with a happy ending. And, well, for some people, those two things may mix. Okay, that's not the point. The point is that uh, it has to do with the language, with a Spanish vocabulary, because... My guest today in the podcast is Clara González Tosat. She would pronounce it differently because, well, slightly, because she's from Spain. I say González, her last name. She would say González. She is from Spain and I'm from Venezuela in Latin America. So that's a good starting point for the show, which is a production of, well, SpanishWeDo.com, a translation team between Spanish and English and English and Spanish. And we do text subtitles, voiceover, and truly work as a team with different skills, everyone. We've got, besides professional translators, we have also, we have doctors, engineers, people specialized in subtitles, all that kind of thing. Well, should you ever need us? SpanishWeDo.com. And we're really proud to really work as a team. We all know each other, well, digitally. And working as a team, well, we believe it benefits all parts. And, well, in the end, it's also much more fun. But I know what you're thinking. Tell me about this slapping. Okay, we're going to talk about it because Clara tells a story about it. And it is the difference of one specific word, the word coger, which is a verb, uh, how it is used in Spain and in Latin America or most of it. Clara González Tosat is a journalist from Spain, specifically from Huesca. When she finished her uh, journalism degree in 2013, she went, she left for the U.S. with a scholarship to be a Spanish teacher assistant in Minnesota in the U.S. And then in 2014, she got another scholarship to go work at Instituto Cervantes, at the observatory of Instituto Cervantes at Harvard University in Boston. And what she did there, they do research and publish papers about the use of a Spanish language. And there she focused on digital news published in Spanish in the U.S. and then Spanish language radio stations in the U.S. She'll tell you about it. And in 2018, she went back to Spain and is currently pursuing a Ph.D. about globalized online news. The conversation with Clara is divided in two episodes. Episode one, we're going to focus on the language and her experience as a child and as a young woman being raised in Spain and then having contact with a different type of Spanish. And we'll also talk about her awakening to a different kind of Spanish, watching a soap opera called Pasión de Gavilanes, which would translate something like Sparrowhawk's Passion. Interesting thing, because it was a soap opera from Colombia, and it, it included actors from different countries. Colombia, of course, but also Cuba and Venezuela and Argentina and Mexico. So that way she was exposed to this different type of Spanish. But how different? We'll talk about that. And also, we will talk and close the episode with what I'm going to call the tacit agreement, the unspoken agreement among Spanish speakers when we get together. So let's get to it. Clara González Tosat in Spanish We Do. Hello, Clara. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Spanish We Do. Uh, my... oh, thank you so much for having me here. 
Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank, thank you for finding the time. And of course, course I normally record a short uh, introduction right before uh, playing this part that we have recorded for the conversation. But let's begin still. Let's begin there. Give us a little a little uh, peek about your story, where you're from and where have you been throughout the years? Not many years because it's not possible <laughs> since you, you're just <laughs> well, a I'm kid. I'm from Huesca, which is in, in Spain, in Aragon. Yeah. Huesca. And uh, I finished my uh, journalism degree in 2013. There. And I decided Spain was not enough. So I got a scholarship to be a Spanish teacher assistant in Gustavus Adolphus College, which is in Minnesota, All right. United States. So When was that? Was Give us a year for that. 2013. 2013. All right. Yeah, August 2013. And then I kind of fall in love with teaching and with, uh, you know, U.S. culture. And I met a lot of people from different countries. So I decided I wanted to stay. I did not want to go back to Spain. Okay. Um, so I got... Another scholarship from a Spanish foundation, which is Fundación Rafael del Pino, who was working with uh, the Instituto Cervantes, Cervantes yeah. Institute, right? They had a like um, Spanish language and Hispanic cultures observatory in Harvard University in Boston. And I went there. I had a project to do some research about um, digital newspapers in the United States, but only the ones that were published in Spanish. Okay. Because I think Spanish media, Spanish language media is quite important in the United States. And there's a huge community there. Um, after that, that was 2014. I stayed another year uh, at Cervantes Institute, working this time with radio, Spanish language radio station in the United States. Did you do a show yourself? What, what were you doing there? I was, I was doing research mainly. I got a publication um, kind of like counting how many you know, broadcast or shows, radio shows right. were there, how long they've been there for, which um, state has the, you know, the biggest concentration of Spanish language media. So that was quite interesting. And then I stayed another two years in Boston uh, doing a master's degree in uh, Hispanic culture. Yeah. And um, I was teaching Spanish for two years straight, actually, in Boston College while I was getting my master's degree. What, what level of students were you teaching? It was beginning 101 and beginning 102, but then I was also covering sometimes from some intermediate classes. Yeah. So, and that was one of the best experiences uh, of my life, I think. Oh, we're going to talk about that for yeah. sure. Yeah, and then after two years, so that was 2018, I got my MA, my degree, and then um, uh, there was this uh, Marie Zlodowska Curie uh, scholarship, which is kind of a big deal in Europe. Yeah. And it's the first time that they're working with communication and they're working with journalism. So they offer 15 PhD scholarships. And I got one of them. I'm here at the, at the University of Navarra. I'm in Pamplona in Spain, back again. And I'm getting my PhD in communication studies. Congratulations. Fantastic. Thank and we're you. going to talk about all that. So, so okay, your uh, geographical location was Spain all, until yeah. 2013. Yes. And then to the U.S., <clears throat> you were in mm -hmm. different places a little yeah. bit, right? And then Minnesota back to Spain, 2018. 
Yep. Okay. I, I so that geographically, and well, it's been, you managed to do quite a lot of things from <laughs> 2013 to 2018. Kind of. I tried. I tried. I, I, I just wanted to explore not only about journalism, but also about Hispanic culture, Spanish language, teaching. I, I really like that. All right, so let's begin recording since you are uh, such an interesting person from that point. Oh my of God. <laughs> let's begin recording our 30 episodes because that's what it sounds like it's going to come out of here. Okay. <laughs> okay, now let's begin there. All right. <clears throat> Sorry, let's let's start with your personal experience because, well, we, we try to foc focus on an, uh, two angles, basically, the language mm -hmm. in itself. Uh, from a personal point of view, your personal experience, and also, well, your professional point of view, which already, of course, you have. Uh, then the cultural aspect of it, in 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 the sense of how people are, uh, and we try to go into it from the point of view initially of stereotypes, because they exist yeah. for a reason. And when I say for a reason, I don't mean for the right reason, or I don't even mean that they are true, but they exist for a reason. They have to do with us as human beings and that's part of well of our cultural culture and it's something interesting to look into and and then well let's talk at one point about teaching and learning spanish okay. which i think it's going to be very interesting for people who really besides the culture want to talk about language all okay. right so you grew up in huesca okay we know spain has different languages in in some areas is there any additional language to Spanish in Navarra? I mean, in yes, Huesca. Well, yeah. In Navarra, not everybody speaks uh, Basque, what is known as Euskera here. Yeah. But there's some schools that actually teach it. They're called Icastolas, and they do teach uh, Basque language, which is, you know, quite different from what we know uh, of Spanish. Uh, but they usually speak more Basque in the Basque country, obviously. Yeah, like Victoria, yeah. etc. You know. Okay, so you grow all of your life. Your your parents and and your family all from Spain. Yes, all from Spain. My dad is from Asturias. They do speak um, what they call Bable, which yeah. is uh, you know it's quite interesting. When he's mad, when he gets mad, usually he speaks to me like that. He's just like oh, that's interesting. You know, that means that's the that's his emotional language. Like exactly, yeah, that's, that's how he grew up, yeah. and yeah. and and it came it comes up, you know, when when there's like a very emotional situation. And um, was that scary <laughs> when you began hearing Bobby? You said, "Oh my God, something happened here." Sometimes, what did yeah, I do? It's, it's the same like my grandma. When my grandma starts speaking like this, I know something's coming. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. How different is Babli from Spanish, you'd say? Not much. You know, um, when when people speak uh, in Galicia, you know, yeah. the Gallego, there's, there, it's quite similar. They will tell you it's not the same at all. But... In my well, opinion, I think it's. I, I can tell. I can tell you how different it is, or not, because uh, well, I've been here living in Galicia. I'm originally from Venezuela, yeah. as you know, and maybe some people, if they've heard the show before, they know. I've been here in Galicia for 11 years, uh, but I yeah. was raised in a family from Galicia, at least the my father on my father's side, and yes, I did. I did understand Galician. The Galician they spoke. But then I come here to Galicia and I said, well, what am I going to do to like get in touch with people, know people? So I, I decided to take some 
courses and what was available was poetry. Oh my wow. God, they do speak differently. But the, the thing is, not, not so much in, in terms of grammar, there's a little bit there, but yeah. in terms of the actual words they choose to use, what they would call, well, real Galician. Well, we could talk about that, that story and all the time, but, mm -hmm. but the thing is Galician is a very old language that went yeah. through a period of darkness because it was forbidden as other languages mm -hmm. in Spain uh, during the... Uh, 20th century and and so it evolved in such a way that at one point people from one corner of Galicia could not understand the others because it evolved underground yeah and uh, well anyway so so the, these friends of mine the poets so they they really appreciate the language and and they want to keep it in its essence and use words which are the words I like the most in Galician that are completely different Those are the interesting ones. But yeah, I, I, I get it. And do you think Bable is relatively close to Galician? Makes sense? Yeah, because if, I mean, it's geographically like super close. Galicia and Asturias. So there's some, there's, there's some connections there. Uh, my dad will tell you no. There's, no, no, no. That's another thing. It's completely But, different. Yes. <laughs> Especially when he's angry, it's more different than anything else. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Clara, okay. So when you grow up... Uh, One thing we talk about here are different types of Spanish. Okay, uh, mm -hmm. what made you realize if, if I, I probably there's not a point, there's not a date, but uh, uh, around what uh, time in your life you, you noticed? I mean, these people from the other side of the Atlantic, they speak differently. Or did you watch any shows that, that made you realize that? Yeah, so there was a very, very popular TV show here, what's called Telenovela. Uh, the soap opera, you know, and, and it was called Pasión de Gavilanes. Yes. Everybody in Spain was watching it. I think I was 14, so that my, it was like 2004, something like that. So you, you realize the accent was completely different. Of course, you understood what they were saying, but then I start learning, okay, so I can understand, but the way they pronounce it, the, the way they talk, you know, the musicality of the language is completely different, and yeah. that really fascinated me. Then I had the opportunity to have a professor from Venezuela, actually, in my degree in journalism. And, and that was really useful in terms of, like, contextualizing a little bit um, where this uh, kind of words come from. Why is the meaning of this thing that you use one way and they will use another way? Yeah. And, and all this, like, you know, uh, lost in translation um, situations that are quite fun, actually. Yeah, well, I, I don't think I've show you, shown you this, but I do some stand-up comedy. And, and unavoidably, the experience of immigration is part of it. But one specific part of it is, and we speak the, le the same language. Oh, yes, for sure. And then I tell all the stories of when I, well, did not spoke I speak the same language because i mm -hmm. went through it so you probably went through some of that when you traveled but we'll get to that later okay so you're at university you have this professor you are inspired by pasión de gavilanes very yes. passionately <laughs> all right and and before that uh, uh in in the street any did you have any contact or no, ever noticed people speaking spanish in different ways So, is a very, very small town. It's like only 50,000 people nowadays. So, it's quite small. And in, in this case, immigration has always come from North Africa. 
So we could hear French, for example, like people from Senegal, but not people from Latin America or another yeah. Spanish speakers. Okay, so, so Pasión de Gavilanes was the breakthrough. Yeah, exactly. I Got know it. in, in ta like big cities like Madrid, Barcelona, like listening to another Spanish accent was like super common. But for me, it wasn't. It was always on TV or like um, artists, like music artists and things like that. It wasn't that... I, ha I really had the chance to actually talk to or interact or become friends with someone or some other Spanish speaking. Well, that's uh, interesting person. because you came to it like pure with a blank, with a clean slate. So that that's yeah. interesting. Oh, no, a question. So we'll go into a little bit into stereotypes and, and try to figure out that kind of thing. But when you watched Pasión de Gavilanes at that point and you mm -hmm. got the accent and I, I guess at that time, like, Many people were watching the same thing. It's not like it was absolutely like today, like everyone watches, whatever. But so you had maybe with your friends, what was the conversation about the accent or the, or the way they spoke? Was it like, was it a good thing? Was it an odd thing? Was it funny? Did you, did you play games like trying to speak like that? Yeah, we actually tried to imitate that and, and kind of introduce like, Okay, how, how would it sound if a Mexican was speaking it? Or can you actually differentiate between people from Venezuela and people from Colombia or people, you know, like just because of the accent. But I think at that point, it wasn't just, it wasn't a big deal. I think I grew up in a bubble where everybody was kind of from Huesca. Yeah. And then I moved to Zaragoza to do my journalism degree, my BA. And everybody was from Zaragoza or maybe Huesca or maybe, you know, Madrid. So it wasn't opened at that, at that moment. Uh, now I know my university is super international. They have students from, you know, everywhere. But um, when I was studying there, it wasn't a thing. It was just, oh, there's this professor that's, you know, from Venezuela. But yeah. that, that was about it. Mm -hmm. All right. And after your university degree, a little bit after you moved to the U.S.? Yeah. What was your experience with the Spanish when you got there? I mean, you, you probably were in contact with people from all over the place, I'm, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. and, and, well, you would notice things and they probably at one point would tell you things. Yeah. What was the conversation like? Um, first thing I remember is meeting my friend Andrea, who she's from Mexico and the airport. And it was like people from the U.S. coming and picking us up. And I was like, okay, you speak Spanish. So, you know, I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be able to at least say yeah. something, or maybe you can help me translate because I wasn't so sure of how my English was gonna, you know, like help me out. And then, um, mainly interact with people from Mexico, uh, And it was very interesting because I wasn't able to share my emotions in English the same way I would speak to them in Spanish. Like when I was angry or when I was sad or when I was, you know, like missing home. I could talk to my roommate, yeah. but it wasn't. So I start, I, I realized. You know what I'm thinking of right now? You know who I'm thinking of right now? Who? Your dad. Oh, yeah. Speaking badly when he got emotional. Exactly. So that's that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So what, what, what did you do? So, well, one of the biggest deals was with the word um, to take or to pick up, which is coger. 
Yes. In Spanish, we do use it for like to, to take a bus, you know, we literally say we grab the bus. Yes. But in Mexico, that's not the connotation. Mexico and many other places in Latin America. Not all, places, not all of them, not all of them, but exactly. many. So I know for At sure. That point, Mexico, Colombia, knew. Venezuela, and well, and because of TV shows, they know it all over the place. But yes. I so know. the word is coger, which is to pick up or grab something. Mm-hmm. And then um, it was. But hold on. Was, we still haven't told people what it means. People who don't know what it means. Uh, Did you do it? <laughs> right. It means having should sex. I do it or That's what it means. It? it means having sex. That's what it means. And also. Yeah. Uh, in in some in some places also the there's a word like is tirar which is to throw or to pull yeah. tirar it means the same thing so yeah. you in some places like in Venezuela for instance and it's been influenced to some other countries ne nearby countries so you can imagine what these people well not feel because it's a, it's a joke when they come to Spain and see that every door says tirar and we say mm -hmm. oh my god the demographic crisis is very severe. <laughs> They're putting this all over the place. <laughs> But it's a joke, evidently. I just remember being in, in Minnesota in the school at college. And it was, oh my God, there was so much snow. Like, I couldn't even walk. It was like up to my knees. So I, I, I was with some friends and I looked up to Andres, who was actually from Puebla in Mexico. Yeah. And I said, Andres, like, I can't do this. No puedo más, like, cógeme, por favor. Meaning, can you please, like, help me walk? Like, pick me up and carry me yeah. to the from other side. Because uh, I the point walk. of view of a person from Spain. But he heard it from the other side of the Atlantic. My friend's face was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and I said, come on, like, really, like, cógeme, because I can't walk, you know? But he was understanding something completely different. And he's like, are you okay? Like, do you? And I was like, no, oh my God. I, I realized, right? Because it was like a running joke among us. But yeah. from that point, I was really stuck in the snow. Of course, so it just came out. Word, yeah, the word like, help me or like, whatever it didn't come. It came the word like, yeah. like, pick me up, carry me, right? And that was one of the funniest moments. Same way with like... Uh, Please grab a glass of water for me, like when we were in the cafeteria. And for me, it's like coger un vaso. Like if I'm going to pick up a, a, a glass from a counter, it's just like coger un vaso. They were all laughing at me all the time. And then when I came back home that summer, I was telling my dad and my mom, like, agarra. So it's yeah, like, which is like a synonym for that, but exactly. synonym for and the my, physical my action mom, of picking something up, not yeah. for the... Uh, sexual part. Exactly. Yeah. And then my mom is like, what do you mean agarra? Like, we don't use agarra for this. And I was like, Jesus. <laughs> It was so confusing at some point because, you know, you try to, you try to accommodate yourself and to speak. Of course. Right? And, and to make it, to, to avoid all these mistakes. I mean, they were very fun. It was, it was a really funny experience. But um, I was there with people from Argentina, a professor from Argentina, There was another professor from Sevilla and it was like an agreement, right? Like we all knew those kind of words that were, you know, that they had different meanings and yeah. we tried to speak the most, you know, neutral 
language that we could in terms of Spanish. But one interesting thing that and, and that will help to to grasp or or or, or just no just just to put a little light on it and it is the fact that very small nuances are completely different in meaning and I'm thinking yeah. of of course there is a word coher which we've mm -hmm. talked about to pick up or grab but in many parts of Latin America means yeah. practicing having sex but the word recoger just adding that re does not elicit that meaning at all no um me saying recogeme las las cartas del correo like meaning could you go pick up my mail for me kind of I'm busy could you do that for me again like everybody was looking at me like weird very weird well, and they were saying, you know you're Spanish but you're European so maybe that's why and I'm like yeah maybe that's why <laughs> evidently that's why evidently so at this point after having all that experience i mean you met people mm -hmm. from i guess all countries you probably yeah. could not say from which country you did not meet someone could you yeah i think i think after five years there's not even latin american country yeah i know people from everywhere yeah like you have to like to go on a list and maybe oh maybe well i don't know so that's a good so from that point of view Uh, what different types of Spanish would you say, from that practical point of view, exist in the world? Where would you put the the, the border? Hmm. I think Spain and some organizations from Spain used to, now not anymore, talk about uh, how Spanish from Spain was the perfect Spanish. When I went to the United States, I met people from different uh, Spanish-speaking countries who were saying, yeah, but my Spanish is not good. Now I say, what do you mean it's not good? Yeah, because it doesn't sound like Spanish from Spain. I do, I say vos instead of tú. Yeah. I, I, I do this thing. And I said, no, like, it doesn't mean it's not perfect. So I... I I'm amazed about all the varieties and like all the different accents that have. I do not have a border. I do know that I can understand everyone that speaks Spanish. There will be some words that will mean different things. But for me, it's a, it was marvelous that I can, I can go somewhere, meet someone from, I don't know, Guatemala, Argentina, Peru, doesn't matter, right? And then I could understand them. A lot of my students in Minnesota and in Boston will say, how do you understand this guy? Like he speaks Mexican and you speak Spanish. And I say, no, we do speak Spanish, both of us. And there are some words that have different meanings, some other expressions that are more local, maybe. Yeah. But I do, I, I, I'm kind of fighting against that, that border, that, right? Like that, it's, it's like an obstacle, And I don't think there's any country who speaks more valuable or more accurate Spanish. It's just the beauty of it. It's how different it is from the You've accent. You've touched on, on two very important points point of view. And, and I think it might be the, the most interesting takeaways from someone looking uh, into Spanish from the outside, meaning that mm -hmm. it's not their native language. And it is that, yeah, that idea... Not for everyone, but that idea that people from Mexico would have a hard time understanding people from Huesca 
Yeah. It, it's not it's not a real thing unless that person from Mexico wanted not to be understood or you, which which could happen in any language, even from the same city. You just use the right slang, pronounce in yeah. a particular way, and then yeah. it becomes totally obscure. But that happens in English and it happens in every language. Mm -hmm. But there is a level like, uh, uh, yes, an agreement, an, a neutral level when where we can all understand each other without a problem and some word may come up And it might be fun just to figure out how it was used or what it means. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's just, let me clarify this. One of the most interesting things, uh, I, uh, I'm sure I still have a ton of dark areas, not only with Spain, with other countries in Latin America. It's a normal thing because even though we speak the same language and we have that level of neutral connection, mm -hmm. let's call it like that, or neutral comprehension of the language, Uh, culturally, Latin America is, is very divided in different pockets that uh, have to do uh, with what kind of natives were there and how much they influenced the local language. I was recently talking to a girl from Paraguay where they mm -hmm. also have a second uh, official language besides Guarani. Spanish, which is Guarani, and a very large percentage of the population uh, speak Guarani as their first language. So. Yes. When they would get emotional, they would turn to Warani, mm -hmm. for example, that, that thing we've talked about. So, but it's divided and also by media, because since all Latin America are independent countries, there is local media, of course, with local news, local terminology, but it doesn't get that far that you would, you would get to the point of not understanding. And there's also another thing in Latin America that didn't happen that much with Spain, a bit, but not so much. And it is that uh, shows dubbed from the US, dubbed to Latin America, were done mostly in Mexico. And then at the end of, uh, well, during the 90s, in, also in Venezuela. So that turned into an agreement of what neutral Spanish would be yes. in terms of pronunciation and accent, but also in terms of some words. So these people, when they were translating the scripts, they knew they were producing this for an international Spanish-speaking audience. So that, uh, let's call it a variety or agreement or that Spanish neutral, it does exist. And it's, it's not forced. It, it's actually a natural thing. Yes. So that's one thing, and it, and it is very important. And the other thing you touched on is uh, the fact that, yeah, languages are living creatures. So, yeah. yes, Spanish is a family with brothers and, and cousins and sisters and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And they can, can all understand each other, even though sometimes they fight among themselves because it's fun with the right <laughs> word. <laughs> I liked, um, I think the best experience was when, um, you know, this this thing called Spanglish. Some people say it doesn't exist or it shouldn't be called that way. That was kind of like an academic discussion that was going on and on when I was at Harvard. But yeah. Um, working and, and like talking to people from Latin America and also um, people who were already in, in the United States born and raised, but their, their family came from Latin America and how they adapt uh, English language according to Spanish grammar rules. For example, you have the word roof, which is, you know, el techo, el tejado, yeah. roof. The, the, the guy or the lady that fixes their roof in Spanish is a rufero. 
right? Because yeah. the, the um, last E-R-O means that who does something, the guy or the person who does something, and they will say, Rufido, right? And they right. will take your uh, English word and still mix it and put it through my Spanish rules, my Spanish grammar. And I think that was, that was amazing. There's actually the, um, the dictionary of the Royal Academy of Spanish yeah. in Spain uh, finally, some years ago, started using uh, what they will call uh, Americanismos, which are words that have been adapted, not just an Anglicismo or something that comes from English, but it's something that's from English, but we do adapt it through Spanish. And we have words and we have expressions from that, like the word, um, I, I'll call you back. Okay, yeah. so say, I'll call you back, right? Um, instead of say, te, te llamo luego, te devuelvo la llamada, a lot of people, a lot of Latinos in the U.S. will say, te llamo para atrás. Yes. Because back, it's, it's para atrás. Yeah. So, te llamo para atrás, José. And that was in incredible for me because it was like, such a literal translation, but still it was working so well. It was like so socially accepted that that's when you said, oh, Spanish is a living creature, right? Like languages are. That's when I realized you can't, you can't just put some borders into this. Like it's going to be evolving. It's going to, it's going to keep evolving. It's going to have contact mm. with other languages, right? And it's going to like grow. Oh, yeah. So we're going to touch on that in, in a little bit. And it is one of the questions and talking about your experience in, in Instituto Cervantes is yeah. does uh, uh, U.S. Spanish variation, does it exist? We we'll talk about that because there are different points of view and different also emotional approaches to that, yeah. which is which some people are like get like really upset when that comes up. And we'll stop this episode there. Because this closes the part of the language itself, just like independent from all cultural, other cultural aspects. I'll be waiting for you for episode number two, where we're going to focus on that social, social part, social behavior part of the Spanish speaking culture all over the world. And you'll get an interesting story of how when Clara was living with roommates in the U.S., Roommates that apparently had trouble cleaning up after themselves. When she would ask them, in a way, they got kind of angry and thought she was rude. But when she made an accidental choice on the way she spoke, then, oh my God, they did clean up. And yes, it's got to do with the Spanish and the way it influenced her way of speaking English. I know, sounds confusing. Let's solve it in our next episode. Adios, adios. Nos vemos en el otro.